Good evening, church. It's another Wednesday night. We're still in the pandemic. I hope you're being safe and uh, doing what you need to do to keep from catching this. Uh, just a couple announcements as we get started uh, tonight. The deacons had a, a meeting Tuesday night, and uh, we're going to have another parking lot service this coming Sunday at 10 a.m. Um, this Sunday will be at 10 a.m., and then June the 7th, we're going to move it up to 9.30 and hope it's a little bit cooler um, then the other thing is, is if it's inclement weather, like if it's raining and misting, uh, we're not going to have services that day. We'll have it online again uh, for those days that do that. And um, so be aware of those things and make appropriate uh, uh, use of your time getting ready for another worship service. Uh, I think uh, we had around 125 on Sunday uh, and we did that by uh, some people taking pictures, and we counted the people in the pictures and knew some others that didn't have their pictures made. And so that was a good turnout. I thank you for continuing to be faithful in your um, giving. It's just amazed me that you have done that. And during this time, I, I, I wanted to read out of First uh, Samuel. I'm going to read the last two verses of chapter 15 and then start in chapter 16. 1 Samuel 15, 34 says, Then Samuel went up to Ramah, and Saul up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Into the midst of that situation, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, starts with these words. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him uh, from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came, they looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, 
And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy youth with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father, just speak to us from your word as only you can. And Father, just have your way with us. And Father, uh, forgive us of our sins and uh, convict us where we need convicted. Comfort us where we need comforted. And challenge us where we need challenged. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to mention some folks that didn't seem on the surface that they might have a lot in, in common. The first one, he's the second string quarterback on the junior high football team. The next one is a lady doing her shopping, but on uh, her person, she carries a pager. Okay, and she's a nurse at the local emergency room. The third one is a bunch of guys that surround the vice president as he boards a plane and protect him as he boards it, as he comes off and as he travels to and fro as the president sends him. Now, what do those folks that I just mentioned all have in common? They are people that are doing one thing now, but if called upon, they'll step forward to do another thing. If called upon, they step into another role. If called upon, they answer the call and do what they are supposed to do. We might call them folks who are waiting in the wings. And this chapter 16 could have been entitled by Samuel, One Waiting in the Wings. You see, Samuel was really depressed. He had agonized over Saul. When he had anointed Saul, uh, God had blessed Saul with a new spirit, a new heart, literally. Saul was head and shoulders above all of his other countrymen. He was good-looking. He was large. He, he was uh, becoming a leader. And yet, God ended up rejecting him from being king anymore. And the reason why was very simple. Uh, Saul had become so engrossed in his own selfish desires that his heart had left God. His attitude of obedience had left him. And so God rejected him. And in the midst of that situation, God sends Samuel to anoint David as the new king of Israel. David the shepherd boy. David the youngest of the sons of Jesse. David the one who nobody noticed. The one who had to step out of the dark. To become the king. Had been waiting in the wings. And God had been preparing him. To be the king of Israel. And if God. Were to call us. We've sort of been waiting in the wings. This pandemic has shut down. All kinds of things. In our country. Uh, We're starting to come back. A little bit. We're not back yet. Who knows what the new normal will ever look like. Again. I don't know. You don't know. I don't think the president or those uh, that are supposed to be in charge of the health of the country know. But the whole point is, 
as we've been waiting, have we been preparing for what God would have us to do as the next step? Have we been sharing the gospel with those we run into? Have we been preparing to meet those that need, during this time of pandemic, that need something more? They found out that their resources weren't enough, their intellect wasn't enough, there seems to be a hole missing in them, and we can tell them the good news about Jesus as God would have us to. But what does God want from those who are, quote-unquote, waiting in the wings? It's very simple. God wants us prepared to step forward and obey His will. God wants us to step forward and obey His will. And in order to do that, there are several things that we need to realize. First of all, as I said, we're to obey His will. And Basically, God desires personal obedience. Personal obedience. Saul had forgotten that the rules applied to him even as the king. He'd done so many things. He had sacrificed when he wasn't supposed to sacrifice, not waiting on Samuel to get to the appointed place. He'd gone down to attack the Amalekites. He was to wipe them out. There's be no spoil taken. He was to kill every man, woman, and child because they were an evil nation, and God said to do it. And yet he let the king live and brought him back and took all the choice sheep and cattle and camels and brought them back. And when Samuel confronts him he says I've done what the Lord said and Samuel says well why do I hear bleeding in my ears he said well we took these to 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 sacrifice him to the Lord and then we have that same famous passage where Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice and he goes on to say rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft in our day too often we dismiss obedience it's just a little bit of disobedience. It's just a, you know, a little bit of variation. It's just not quite. And we think of it as a little sin, a little white sin. didn't hurt anybody. And God doesn't look at it that way. God desires personal obedience among his people. And Samuel sets the example for that in this passage. Here Samuel is, uh, earlier in this scripture or in the chapter before it, it said that he stayed up all night praying for Saul. All night interceding that God would accept him back. But God would not. He knew Saul's heart. He knows our heart also. Not only that, but as he's there and he's still mourning Saul after anointing him as king, uh, it says that God said to him, How long? Shall you mourn for Saul? How long shall you grieve over him? I have rejected him. And he goes on in that first verse. And he says, fill your home with oil and go. For I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. From among his sons, I've chosen myself a king. He is totally obedient to God. He says, God, if Saul hears... He'll kill me. He says, just take a heifer to sacrifice. Invite the people to sacrifice with you. And make sure Jesse and his sons are present. And he says he got up and he went and took the heifer. As Samuel, so well known, the, the elders that saw him coming into the city said, Do you come in peace? In other words, have you come to destroy us? 
I come in peace, and he sacrifices them. But the whole point is, when you see Samuel, you see him obeying God. Stop the mourning. I've chosen a new king. Get with the program. Do what you're supposed to do. It amazes me what's happened in our country during this. If nothing else, it has made us realize better ways of doing things. It has enabled us to tap into technology because of Brother Galen and his expertise, the things we would have never done before. And I want to tell you something that's moved us along to reach the next generation if we keep up with the things we've started. It may not be the good old days anymore. It'll be the better old days. It may not be things done the same old way, but we have to obey God to reach the next generation. Our country is on the verge If it hasn't already gone over the cliff, of going over the cliff into a totally pagan nation. We have lost generation after generation, and there's nobody to fill the gap. The younger generation is now looking for authentic Christianity. And it means doing things in a way that they can join the cause of Christ impacting our communities it means new ministries it means all these things we say oh we don't have the money to do that or oh we don't have the people to do that if God tells us as he told Samuel to go and do we need to follow that example of obedience but under God dissolves personal obedience they don't just see Samuel's example I see David's exercise what do I mean See, here Samuel is, and he gets Jesse there and his sons. The firstborn is Eliab, and he is quite a physical specimen, evidently, because Samuel looks at him and said, Surely the presence of the Lord's anointed is before him, and he's happy. Maybe he looks better than Saul did. Maybe he's comparable to him. Here's a man's man, a leader. God says, don't look at his outer appearance. Man looks like that. I look for something different. Man looks at what these physical specimen, but God looks at the heart. You see, God wasn't looking for bulging muscles or a dark tan, a big smile with white teeth. He wasn't looking for personality that was just all a gushing. God was looking for a heart of obedience, a special kind of heart, a heart tuned to him. And David was not at the feast yet because he was doing what he'd been prepared to do. His job was to care for the sheep as a lowly shepherd. And his dad had left him in charge to make sure nothing harmed the sheep. And that would prepare David later for guiding Israel. To be literally their king shepherd, their shepherd king. A foreshadowing of our shepherd king, Jesus. Because Jesus said, I know my sheep and they know me. They hear my voice and they know my voice. He said he was the great shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He was not a hireling. Hirelings ran. Those who belonged to the shepherd, those sheep knew the shepherd would lay his life down. And Jesus ultimately did that. And there David is. As a picture of that, preparing to lead God's people, tending the sheep. That's his exercise. His heart 
was in tune with what God had for him to do. And at that point, it was simply staying home, missing the great feast with the great prophet of God. He stayed home and did his job. That was his exercise, learning obedience to do what he was called to do. Are our hearts tuned to obedience? I watched a fellow one time, and he he played some music. And the music he did, he had some kind of little little hammer that he would gently hit these different glass. He had different glasswares up there filled with a certain amount of water. And he would tap them, and he would say, This one right here, if it's filled to this mark, is always tuned to A. It's always tuned to A. That's the one I start with. I don't know why, but it was always tuned to A. And if it was on tune, the rest of them would be on their notes in tune. But it's always tuned to A. Are our hearts always tuned to God and His will and His ways? During this time, we've had plenty of private time to make sure that our hearts are being tuned to God. We should be calling out to him for worldwide revival. Not only in the United States, but all over the world. We should be praying for Christian brothers and sisters, for our missionaries, for our soldiers, for uh, our nurses and doctors and firemen and policemen. I've said that again and again. But we need to pray for them that they'll be safe. But not only that they'll be safe, but that God will move in such a way that they come to know Jesus. That somehow God will grab a hold of our country and pour out His Holy Spirit upon us and send nationwide revival from coast to coast, from north to south, from east to west, so that we might return to Him. You see, have we been preparing our hearts for that? There are many people who are gifted with looks and abilities and economic and educational and social benefits. And there's nothing wrong with that if they're groomed for God's use. And for persons waiting in the wings, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is a heart prepared to obey God. Or our hearts prepared to obey Him. And the last question I want to ask on that subject is this. If I examine my heart, and if you examine your heart, are the doors of our heart closed in certain areas to God? You can have this much, God, but this little corner here is mine. God, you can do this, but not that. Jesus said, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And he was talking about you can't serve God and money. But he also said... Uh, in Proverbs, to guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And he told his disciples as the uh, Pharisees and scribes were criticizing them for not properly washing before they ate, he said, don't you understand that what is eaten does not defile the body, but what's in the heart? For out of the heart comes lying and murder and envy and strife, and he went on. See, our hearts cleanse before God. Do we open up wide and say, Lord... I love you as the scripture often commands with all my heart, soul, strength, mind. Our heart's close to him. So we need to understand that God wants personal obedience. But the second thing I see is that God desires us to prepare now for future service. God 
desires for us to prepare now for future service. Here's what I mean by that. There's a a foundation that's been built into David's life. As we said, uh, all these guys pass through. and, And Samuel says to Jesse, their father, The Lord has not chosen these. And he said to Samuel, Are there all the young men here? He said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. That foundation had been built in. That foundation was that here's David. From time he's a little bitty till he's probably a, a teenager now, a preteen, an early teen. That's what most scholars think. Um, and he had to protect the sheep. The foundation is there for him to lead Israel. He, he went on when he got ready to fight Goliath and he told them, Look, the same God, my God, your God, the one you say you know, our God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, think about it. David has been watching the sheep at night. It's his job. He draws the worst duty. And the foundation is laid to trust God because when the bear attacks, here he is with a slingshot and he slays the bear. When the lion attacks a sheep, here he is with a slingshot and he defeats the lion. And he realizes in his heart, at his age, it's not by his strength or might or cunning. It's by God's power, providence, and presence that he's had success. When you read the Psalms, and a lot of them David wrote, and you hear the beauty of it and how he cries out to God, do you not realize that during the nighttime, in the quiet of the evening, whether there were stars out or whether it was storming out, whatever it was, there is David singing his praises to God, to the sheep, to keep them calm, to keep them close, to keep them protected. My, oh, my. What a foundation. That's why he could say in Psalm chapter 100 verse 3, We are the sheep of your pasture. We're the sheep of your pasture. And again, why Jesus would say, I have other sheep that I must bring to this fold also. Jesus knew his sheep and they knew him or know him. It's the foundation. But then I get to the fact of the matter. You see... If you want to know how important it really was, David Shepherd's days, read Psalm 23. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He goes on in that psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, at my head, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. And he goes on and says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hmm. You see, his heart was formed and prepared for God's service. What about the future? The future happens right here. It's interesting to me. He's anointed at this age. And it's probably another 15 years before he takes the throne. After Saul is killed. Somewhere there. That's not an exact number. 
You see, it says this in verse 12. So he sent and brought him in, speaking of David. He was ruddy. Now, ruddy can mean clean face. It can also mean maybe just a few pimples. Okay? Uh, But he said he had bright eyes and good looking. And some of the scholars said that good looking doesn't just mean physical. Look, that good looking represents his character. It represents his spirit. He had spent so much time with God that, you know, we've met Christians and we say they just shine with the presence of the Lord. Or they should be able to see the Lord in, in, inside of us because of the expression on our faces. There was just something serene about David that people could see because he had spent so much time alone with God. Are we spending that time? <laughs> you see, he said he was bright-eyed and good-looking. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. I can see God getting excited. And then Samuel hops up. He took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the midst of his brothers. They must have been wondering, now he was going to anoint one of us. What's he doing anointing this pipsqueak? This is the baby brat. But there he is for all to see that he's been anointed by Samuel. And then it says something very important. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. He was anointed for the future. See, he had a heart that God needed. He was preparing so he would be ready. And then he was anointed with the Holy Spirit so he could do the job God told him to do. We're in the same shape. It doesn't matter what our background, it doesn't matter where we were. If we know Jesus has been forgiven of our sins, the Holy Spirit resides within us, and we're to prepare for that day with obedient hearts when God's call comes, and we're to step out. One of the best illustrations of that is one of our greatest presidents, Abraham Lincoln. We need to understand he was born in a backwoods uh, home, a log home in Kentucky. We need to understand he had no more than one year of formal schooling and became a lawyer. He said that the only books they had in his house were Robinson Crusoe, Pilgrim's Progress, Aesop's Fables, and the Bible. He said he read them again and again, all of them, as much as he could. He used to sit up by the fire in the fireplace and they had a wooden shovel to work with and he would write his fractions and his numbers on it and then he'd take a knife and scrape the shovel and start again. That was his work pad. His eyes could barely see in the dim light, but he prepared. And he did so for one reason. Lincoln said, I did the best that I could. He said, I studied and I prepared because I knew someday my opportunity would come. He kept saying that during those difficult days. Defeated many times before he was finally elected. And finally, he became the President of the United States during the greatest civil strife that our country has known up to this present time. He was prepared to lead because of his beliefs in the Bible and what God said that all men are created equal. He ended up writing one of the greatest things that was written in our history, in the Emancipation Proclamation, criticized widely because it was so short. Now we look back and see how much he said in just a very short time because the orator in front of him had waxed on for a couple of hours and had said nothing. And the two-hour speech in that day were, were, were lauded. But we don't even really think about what was said then. Those people have faded into obscurity. The whole point is, he prepared... And when the call came, he stepped forward. 
Are you preparing for future service? I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how much education you have or don't have, how much money or not money you don't have. The preparation God is looking for is in here. The preparation is knowing Him through His Word, through His Spirit. And I want to tell you this, and and I hope you'll listen to me. I'm not being negative, but you'll never know what God can really do until you step out and start serving. Is it easy? No. Are you criticized? Yes. But it's always worth it. The Sunday school teacher always learns more than the pupils because they have to study to teach the pupils. Okay? The pastors always bless more in preaching than the people are because God's Spirit has to guide that and anoint that. It's all in vain. I could go and give you example after example of that. But it means being prepared for obedience to answer God's call in the upcoming days. Whatever God calls us to do, I'm praying that we're obedient to do that. I'm praying he might use our church to start a revival in our association. He could start it in me. I need a revival. Do you need a revival? Are we preparing for that? Do we don't think God can do it because of this pandemic, because the country seems to be so awful? And I'm not denying any of that. And if you think that America's great, then you've got it wrong. Being an American does not equate with being a Christian. We have Christian brothers and sisters around the world who suffer greatly for calling on the name of Christ. And so far, up to this point, we have skipped that in America. We see Christianity is under attack as never before in America. There's more hostility towards Christians and Jesus than ever before in our country. And it's not time to start fighting verbally. It's time to hit our knees and fight spiritually in prayer. It's time to immerse ourselves in God's word and in his presence and let him teach us and prepare us for what's coming up. Better days ahead? I hope so. But they're only going to be better as if we turn to God right now while he's given the whole world a chance. Because he stopped the world, basically. And he said, listen to me. I'm calling to you. It reminds me of that verse in Revelation where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone answers the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. And that especially speaks to me because I think he was talking to the churches, but he was also specifically talking to the pastors. So I hope you'll pray that God will do these things. Remember the parking lot service, 10 a.m. this Sunday. And then June the 7th, we're going to start at 9.30. You'll get more announcements about that. Look at your Facebook page. Thank you for your attention. Your church staff loves you. Your deacons love you. I thank all those who make this happen, especially Brother Galen and his hard work. You give him some encouragement and uh, give him some rest and let him... Uh, not have to do a thousand things. Let's let's, let's try for nine hundred because he's going a hundred miles an hour. Okay, thank you. Good night. Okay, do you want me to put this in my office?